What's going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. I'm speaking a little low because I am recording it 2 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday, so, you know, I have to be very careful because I have people sleeping around me and, you know, that all sort of stuff. But if you haven't already, like, comment, and subscribe, turn on post notifications so you know when live stream pops video drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Boys in the Big Apple will be just me and Luca, but 8, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please tune into that. We'll be talking Yankees and we'll be offseason, NBA, NFL, Giants, Jets, Steelers. Any topics you want to bring up, we'll talk about them. Even if we don't know a lick about them. If it's tennis or something like that. But <sighs> Bucks, 30, the Giants, 10. And I usually do a podcast episode two days after the fact just to simmer the reaction not to scream on the podcast episode and I'm not going to scream I'm not going to yell because this is just basic Giants football right here basic Giants football everybody played terribly Graham Gano was the only one that played well and that says something there's a lot of stuff that has to be cleaned up. Obviously, the fans got ahead rolling because Jason Garrett was fired on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. And that came to shock of many. It shocked me a little bit because I didn't expect the New York Giants to fire Jason Garrett. I expected them to go out and just roll with him the rest of the year and then fire the rest of the coaching staff. I didn't expect any changes. But how we got changes. It seems like for right now that Freddie Kitchens is going to be the play caller. And he's the only one I trust play calling. To be quite honest because sure Russ Callaway can factor in as well as the other assistants. But the other assistants are from college. Same with Russ Callaway. And they really haven't spent much time play calling. Sure they could have a hand in what Kitchens is doing for the rest of the year. But I don't really believe in them to be the head play caller. So I think Kitchens, honestly, is the right guy to do it. Giants were a little bit more aggressive last year when they faced the Browns, and Colt McCoy was the starting quarterback, but Freddie Kitchens was the interim offensive coordinator because Jason Garrett was out with COVID. So there's some optimism there as a Giants fan, and we'll see where this goes. But I'm down at the dumps right now. Not going to cry about it, obviously. But it's a state of Giants football. It's been the state of Giants football for the last 10 years. So if you're a Giants fan, you just have to live up to it. Live with it. Own it. The Giants have sucked. And whenever there's a slimmer of hope that the Giants give us. And trust me. You go back to my preview video. I didn't expect the Giants to win. I thought there was a chance. But I didn't expect the Giants to win. I said 24... 20 bucks. The final score was... 30... 10. I just don't know how you are... Outcoached and outplayed that badly. And I get it. These guys are the reigning defending Super Bowl champions but coming off of a bye with an extra day of rest 
doesn't make any sense how you could seriously be this inept. So, is playoffs still possible? Yeah, it is. But the rest of the year is towards evaluation. Because Joe Judge, unless the Giants win two or less games the next seven games, he's staying. Patrick Graham's going to stay, which honestly, I got so high on him for my hopes to only go down because this defense didn't play well. And I understand you could you know, give the reasoning of, well, he didn't have a pass rush. Well, you have to improvise. Sometimes you're not given the best talent in the world. And we've seen Patrick Graham improvise in moments. And he didn't improvise against the Bucks. The defense sat there and died. And there was wide open spots in the middle of the field. The Rob Gronkowski catch, it was like 26 yards or something like that. And then a couple other plays. And then you have players on offense like Nate Solder and Kenny Galladay just not trying. And then if they do try, the effort is horrible. Now, obviously Daniel Jones missed Galladay on a few routes. And he only had two targets, I believe. But there's no reason to go out there and show some piss-poor effort like that. Especially on that block where Kadarius Tony was fed the screen pass and Galladay just whiffed. That was, what, a five-yard gain that could have been 10, 13, 15 yards. And I get it. Kenny Galladay really isn't a fan of Jason Garrett. We saw that in week two. But there is seriously no reason when you're getting paid as much as you are to go out and whiff like that. What does it show to your head coach? What does it show to the fan base? That they're paying money just for you to act like a selfish asshole? Sorry. I'm not going to go into some full rant about it and talk about player effort. Even though there is a topic that is listed, which we may go into. You know, We'll see how this podcast episode flows. But it is what it is. We'll see what happens in the next seven games. But I'm not going to harp too much on the game stats. I want to look at stuff in terms of the outlook. Um, I'm going to look at team stats real quick. Tampa Bay Bucks had 28 first downs. Giants had 15. They had 17 passing first downs. Giants had 8. They had 10 rushing first downs. Giants had 4. Giants had 3 first downs from penalties. The Bucks had 1 first down from a penalty. The Giants were 1 for 9 on third down. Very efficient. The Bucks were 6 for 13. The Giants for one for three on fourth, and the Bucks for one for one. The Bucks ran 76 total plays. Giants ran 54. The Bucks had 402 total yards. The Giants had 215. Both totaled 11 drives. The Bucks averaged 5.3 yards per play. Giants averaged four. Um, going back to the red zone, Giants were one for two. The Bucks were three for five. Giants had four penalties for 30 yards. The Bucks had six penalties for 39 yards. In terms of turnovers, Giants had three, obviously, the two interceptions and a fumble. And then 
Tom Brady threw an interception that was deflected off of Mike Evans' chest. He batted it up. Dory Jackson picked it off. Giants had 24 minutes and 21 seconds in time of possession. 35-39 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Typical sloppy Giants game. That's the third time they've been blown out this season. And we haven't seen this many blowouts in a long time. It's sad. It's sad. So let's address the elephant in the room. A lot of Giant fans are very concerned about Daniel Jones. Let's beat the horse one more time before it's dead. This was supposed to be Daniel Jones' proof of year. And as someone who's been emotionally invested, I have a shirt of his, number eight, Jones on the back. Daniel Jones, in my opinion, is not the franchise quarterback, and he is not the future of this team. And it's very tough to say that. I'm going to go ahead and compare it to the Donald Gase situation. Because Adam Gase and his staff, two years prior, really the you know 2019-2020 season for the New York Jets, it's kind of a similar situation. Sam Donald had his issues, never got solved. He was injured. Injury prone, really. And then you have Adam Gase, who is one of the most incompetent head coaches across the NFL, or was, and his staff couldn't do anything. So, a lot of Giant fans are either, okay, we need to give this guy a fourth year, B, we need to keep him as a bridge quarterback, or C, we need to go out and get somebody and just rid ourselves of Daniel Jones. It's a tough situation. But... Daniel Jones has been inconsistent. He started off the year well. He started off the year well. And at points, you have to overcome adversity to be a better quarterback, to be a better player, to be a better person. Because the NFL and more likely life is not about excuses. And I'm not saying Daniel Jones is about excuses, but you know, there's people that do give excuses for him that time's up. Year three. So let's go through some of his stats the first 10 weeks of the season. The Giants are 3-7. and seven. And let me make one thing clear. As I just stated, I don't believe that Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback. With that being said, I don't think judging him by wins and losses is going to do anything good. Because stats can be skewed and win-loss record can be manipulated... Because Mitchell Trubisky, as a starting quarterback, has an over 500 record. We all know when he was in Chicago, he was not a good quarterback, and the defense lifted him to a lot of wins. So let's not sit here and play that game. But against Denver, he had a completion percentage of 59.46, passed for 267 yards, one touchdown, one fumble. And also a rushing touchdown as well. Against Washington, he had a rushing touchdown. He also had a passing touchdown. Was sacked four times. Had a passer rating of 102.2. Completion rating of 68.75. So, arguably one of his best games of the season, despite a loss. Against Atlanta, a completion percentage of 68.57. 
266, 266 passing yards, no passing touchdowns, so that was a bummer, and the game plan was totally flawed, but, you know, what can you do, right? So, up to this point, he's averaging about 7 yards per throw. Week 4 against the Saints, 70 completion percentage, 402 yards, 2 touchdowns, and interception to go with about 10 yards per pass. So, his stats go up, Giants were more aggressive, and they beat the Saints in overtime. So, there's no doubting there that he improved from week three to week four and the game plan was done a little differently he had the highest passer rating of the season with 108.5 and as i mentioned uh he had the highest yards per attempt at around 10 go to dallas where he got concussed five for 13 three eight point four six completion percentage 98 yards 65.5 passer rating it's not going to get it done, obviously, but you can't sit there and say, oh, well, you know, he only threw 13 times and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Context is key. He got concussed. He was out for the rest of the game. The Giants got blown out that game. No touchdowns from him. So, it was the Rams game. Probably even worse. Um, let's see. 29 for 51. They kept him out there longer then he should have been out there. Corey Cunningham was out there. And a lot of other backup players, but they decided not to pull Jones. And they said they were competing, but they clearly weren't. The final score was 38-11. to 56.86 completion percentage to go along with 242 yards, three interceptions, two fumbles, one lost, and no touchdowns for Daniel Jones. Going against Carolina, 69.7 completion percentage, 203 yards, one touchdown, no rushing touchdowns, though he did have a catch, so that's a good point to be made. The game plan was geared more towards rolling him out and limiting the damage that the offensive line was allowing because the offensive line didn't play well that game. They really haven't played well as of late. But the game plan was to roll him out more. Then against Kansas City, completion percentages are 68.75, 222 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, 96.1 passer rating. Uh, that's about six yards per throw. Against the Rams, he had about four yards per throw. Against Dallas, he had about seven yards per throw, 7.5 to be exact, and about 6.15 yards per throw against the Panthers. So... Kansas City, we all know the margin of error was very small, but doesn't excuse the interception, which led to a Chiefs touchdown. Then you have the Raiders game where he threw 20 times only because the game plan was heavily focused on the running game. 75% completion, only 110 passing yards. One touchdown. No other stats to, I think, recall. And actually, he did have 104 Point two passer rating to go along with a lost fumble, which on occasion continues to be an issue. And then you have the Bucks game. 60.53 completion percentage, 167 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And 
as I stated at the beginning, I'll state state it again. He's not the franchise quarterback. He's not. And even if, in my opinion, there was a glimmer of hope for this guy to be the franchise quarterback, I think it's got to be a mutual divorce. My personal opinion. I know that won't happen because they're going to give Judge and Jones another year. But if I was John Mara, if I had the ruling powers of John Mara, and obviously I don't, but if I had the ruling powers of John Mara, I would fire Judge, fire Gettleman, get rid of Jones, or at least have him as a backup quarterback, and then go ahead and draft a quarterback or try to do whatever you can with the assets you have. But it's a tough situation for the Giants to be in now. He's not the guy, as I said. Next year, he's owed about $8.3 million. And then his fifth-year option, I believe, is up in the $20 millions almost. At least from what I'm hearing. Hopefully, my sources are correct so I'm not misquoted or I'm not misquoting anybody. But in my opinion, even if you want to give him that fourth year, there's no reason to accept that fifth-year option. You could resign him to a favorable contract, a team-friendly contract, if he happens to show some progress. But there is absolutely no reason to accept that fifth-year option. Now, how do you replace him, and can you replace him? Well, I mean, you could absolutely replace him, but there's really no options out there. The Giants, in my opinion, have dug themselves in a hole, and I hate to say it, but it's the truth. They dug themselves in a hole where they haven't put the pieces around him. They did get... You know, two first-round picks for next year. But the problem is they have more necessities than quarterback. Offensive line and edge are those two. Plus, you could add linebacker because I doubt that Blake Martinez is returning next year. Coming off a torn ACL. So, take that to the bank. Now, here are some options. Next year, draft class, Malik Willis... Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett. Personally, me, I like Kenny Pickett. I have to watch a little bit more on him, read some scouting reports. That's probably not going to be done till the end of the season in terms of scouting reports, but I want to watch him until college football season is over. I believe he has the most passing touchdowns out of any of the quarterbacks that are coming out. I could be wrong. Take a look at the free agents. Tyrod Taylor, Cam Newton, Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, Ben Roethlisberger, then again, he is either likely to retire or he is likely to go back to the Steelers, depending on what they say. Jameis Winston and Teddy Bridgewater are also free agents. Not a very good free agent class, not a very good draft class. So it's pick your poison. And with the way the Giants are going to go about it, it's going to be a weird situation because there's going to be a new GM, unfortunately. And I'm not saying this, oh, well, Dave Gettleman's been perfect. No, absolutely not. But there's not going to be any continuity. It's going to be fire one guy, keep the next. Fire one guy, keep the next. It's going to be a three-ring circus for the longest time. And unless the NFL steps in, Mara's going to keep doing whatever. And unless Tish maybe steps in, well... They're going to keep doing this circus cycle because Mara doesn't know what he's doing, amongst other things. But would you really force 
a QB pick on a GM, a new GM with the same head coach. I don't know how that would fare, to be honest. Whether Kenny Galladay or the locker room guys like or hate Daniel Jones, would you force a quarterback pick or would you force a free agent to come in? Because, let's be honest, most of these quarterbacks coming out in the draft, they look like projects. Most of them, at least. And then you got the free agent class. People are talking about bridge QBs. How much better they than Daniel Jones? They're not much better. That's the unfortunate and sad part. If the Giants had assets, if they had money, if they had a lot of draft capital that they didn't need to spend on certain positions and they just had free will, they'd go out and trade for somebody and put themselves in a position to win. But because Dave Gettleman has neglected the edge spot, the offensive line spot, the linebacker spot to a certain degree, we're stuck in this situation. So you're likely probably delaying it again to 2023, kicking that can down the road where two quarterbacks that I know are coming out are C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. And the narrative out there is that Ohio State quarterbacks are really not that good. And Bryce Young, and we already know what happened or what is happening to Tua Tagovailoa. So it's pick and choose for the Giants. It's pick and choose. But just to finally remark off this segment, Daniel Jones is not the franchise quarterback in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. So let's talk about the next topic. Saquon Barkley is cooked. Saquon Barkley is cooked. And I hate saying that. I really do. Personally, I'll say it again. This isn't me trying to be a writer or anything or any bullshit like that. But I didn't want Saquon Barkley. I wanted Josh Allen in 2018. Now, I'm not going to act like I'm some GM or something like that. But I wanted Saquon to work out. His rookie year, he looked like he was going to be one of the best running backs in football. If not the best, he won rookie of the year and all these expectations despite being a bad team. And he ran behind a bad O-line and all these other things. Year two, he had a good year despite the fact that A NFL defenses started figuring him out and started stacking the box because the Giants did not have a single weapon on the field. Slayton's out. Ingram's out. Non-factors. Count the bodies. And then 2020, tears his ACL. And done for the season. 2021, he's working his way back. Glimmer of hope in week four. Ankle injury, week five, out till week 11. And I'm not saying this just because of injuries. You take a look at Saquon Barkley in the game against the Bucks. How many times he tries to shift tackles and break tackles, easy tackles. Not like Jalen Ramsey is going at you like a bull in a china shop. Compare that to Kadarius Toney. And I understand Kadarius Toney's a rookie, but he's faced some injuries himself while Saquon Barkley, in his rookie year, and I know this is a weird comparison, Saquon Barkley in his rookie year didn't face any injuries. 
except for the fact that he did get injured in the preseason, but they saved him, uh, and they saved his energy so he could play in week one. But you look at Kadarius Toney. Screw the involvement in the offense. Despite some of the injuries he's had, he shakes a lot of tackles. He makes people miss. And he's got a fresher set of legs. In my personal opinion, Saquon Barkley's done. As a giant, at least. Maybe he goes to another team as a decent running back. Not the same running back, but he's a decent running back. Or maybe he's a bust. Hopefully not. Because I wish well for players. But Kadarius Tony's a fresh set of legs. Saquon Barkley is not. And it shows. And I was about to refer this... I should say I was about to refer to this before... But Saquon Barkley's legs are likely diminished to two things. That the Giants have not put a good O-line around him. And the fact that there's no other wide receivers until this year. Because after 2018 and before 2021, the Giants had no receiving core whatsoever. So defenses stacked the box so hard that even if the offensive line was good, Saquon Barkley couldn't get around. So you had no wide receivers, you had no offensive line, and then you pile the injuries on top of it, and there's no situation for a win there. I didn't expect Saquon Barkley to come back and rush for 1,000 yards or get comeback player of the year. I said at the beginning of the season, I don't care about any of those awards, those accolades, I want him healthy. He's not healthy. He's injury prone at this point, and it's very unfortunate. And you take a look at his last few games, really the the games he's played in this season. Week 1, 10 rushes for 26 yards. That's about 2.6 per carry. And he had one reception in the receiving game. Against Washington, he had that big 40-yard run. Other than that, total of 12 carries for... Less than 20 yards, maybe, if I'm doing my math correctly. About 13 carries for... Actually, no, not 13 carries. 12 carries for 17 yards, which is about one yard per carry, which isn't good. Then you got two catches in the receiving game. You look at Atlanta, where you got his first rushing touchdown, but three yards per carry, which isn't great. 16 carries, 51 yards. And then, once again, the rushing touchdown. But he also had six catches in the receiving game. Then that big week four, only 13 carries, 52 yards on the ground. That's four per carry, which is decent. But once again, not where you would like him to be. One touchdown, also a touchdown in the receiving game. Five receptions, 74 yards. And then take a look at Dallas, two rushes for nine yards. Nothing in the receiving game. He had one target, though, which he got hurt on because... Twisted his ankle. And then week 11, 6 carries, 25 yards, 6 receptions in the receiving game. 31 yards, so about 5 per reception. But stats won't tell you that he has sore legs. His legs are done. His legs are worn out. Because of the shimmying, the offensive line, the injuries, and all these other things. It's a bust. I hate saying that. Saquon Barkley is a bust. With that being said, let's go to the receivers. Just a basic talk about. 
Um, let me see where we are right now, real quickly. Um, okay, so talk about the offensive line. We'll talk about the heart. I'm sorry if uh, some of the camera stuff is off. Sometimes uh, this stuff can be a little. The camera can be screwed up sometimes, and the fact that I'm doing this in my room with only one light does not help. So I apologize if there's bad camera quality. I'm gonna try to face up a little more. I know I look like a total ghost here, but uh, for right now, it's the best I can do. At least you guys are getting some quality audio. Um, yeah, so in terms of the receivers, talk about the old line, then we'll talk about some other things. Kadarius Tony had 12 targets, 7 receptions for 40 yards. Kenny Galladay was only targeted twice, which was one he dropped. Well, that was also a pass interference penalty, so the Giants kind of got a gift there. And then you also take a look at his one reception, and that was a gain of 12, so it moved the chains. Evan Ingram had five targets, two catches. Andrew Thomas had a touchdown, so that was exciting. But with that being said, the fact that Andrew Thomas has more touchdowns then Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay combined. $72 million in a first-round pick. Have less touchdowns than an offensive lineman that was your first-round pick who was not drafted to be a receiver. He was drafted to block, something he's been doing very well this season. Doesn't make any sense. Dante Pettis, who's currently on IR for the rest of the season. He's got one touchdown. Weak. 11? Week 12 now? Still don't have a touchdown. Anyway. Let's talk about the O-line. And then we'll talk about player heart. Why is Matt Parrott starting? The offensive line sucks. Nate Solder didn't do all that terrible, but he had some really bad plays. It just seemed like on one play, Jason Pierre-Paul crossed him up. It's like a basketball game. Like if LeBron crosses up the guy he's facing on defense or Julius Randle or R.J. Barrett. I'm trying to make examples. You guys get the point. He didn't even beat him with a spin move. He didn't even beat him with a swim move. He literally went like this and Nate Solder was on ice skates. And a lot of people are saying, well, Jason Garrett wanted Nate Solder to be the right tackle. I don't believe that. I believe it's Joe Judge because why is Danny Shelton still playing on the defense? If that's the case. You could put David Moe in there. You could put a lot of other guys in there. But they choose to put Danny Shelton in there like they choose to put Nate Solder in at right tackle. And for what? Danny Shelton and Nate Solder are not a part of the future of this team. So what's the point? What's the sense in sitting there Starting them. Even playing them. You bench Zimenez. Carter could be benched. But you're not going to bench those guys. Do one thing or the other. Don't half-ass it. That's my opinion. War Hernandez. He is such a big disappointment. It's not even funny. Such a big disappointment. Every game. False start. Offense, number 71. 
Mental errors are a big part of that. Screw the physical errors. He's not right mentally in the game. And I'm not saying he, you know, he has a, a disorder or anything. I don't discriminate. I didn't say any of that shit. So please. With that being said, just like Gary Sanchez, just like Labor Torres, it's all in his head. And he can't do shit on the field. Which makes me wonder, yeah, Isaiah Wilson, he's a developmental guy for the long-term future. Maybe they stick him at guard maybe next year in the preseason or something like that just to get him back into football shape. How worse can he be at this point? Nate Solder, uh, not Nate Solder. Will Hernandez ain't going to be here next year. So what's the point of playing him? Meanwhile, Isaiah Wilson looks like to be possibly getting another contract or he's going to be here next year, at least in the preseason. See what you have. See what you have. At this point, it's not going to kill you. Let's see. Billy Price. That one play with Nadamik and Sue tells you everything about Billy Price. And I thought it was a decent trade when the Giants made it. But B.J. Hill, he's doing some nice things in Cincinnati. And then you take a look at what Billy Price is doing here. And I'm not going to blame it all on Gettleman. He does deserve a lot of blame for that. But the Giants coaching staff would have had B.J. Hill behind Danny Shelton. Behind Raymond Johnson. Behind all those guys. So, what was the point of keeping B.J. Hill in that sense? It's a lose-lose situation. It is. Billy Price, you know, the Giants Twitter this week. Oh, well, Billy Price has only given up one sack. How about QB hits? Third most allowed in the NFL. And you look at that one play, which was the big crossing route that a lot of people are debating on. And look at that crossing route play. Will Hernandez is assigned to Dominican Sue. Now, Will Hernandez gets beat like a drum. Dominican Sue overpowers him. He doesn't bulldoze him, but he overpowers him. Billy Price is just standing there. And it's not like it's a five-man blitz. It's not like it's a four-man rush. Three-man rush. One guy is being covered by the tackle. You have another guy. Then you have Nanamakin Sue. So, find work. That's what a center is supposed to do. As many people would say, Nick Gates would never. He has probably worse awareness and worse play than John Halapio did in 2019. Because there were situations, especially against the Vikings, where John Halapio would just stand there and do this and search and search and search. And then if there was work, he wouldn't do anything. But John Halapio battled through a lot of adversity. That's what I'll give him. ACL tear, broken foot. What has Billy Price fought through to deserve any accolades or credit? Nothing. Andrew Thomas, a lot of his first sack of the season, I can't get on him. It was end of the game. He did a pretty good job, caught a touchdown, so I can't say, well, you know, Andrew Thomas was piss poor. I can't say that. And then Matt Skura apparently got high 
praise from Pro Football Focus. He's been okay. I'd keep him around next year. Not for the case of a starter, though. I would draft heavy O-line, obviously, within 4th, 5th, 6th rounds, just in case. Because I would rather personally have that. But if you need a veteran leader, I think Matt Skur is the guy. You know, he's been inconsistent, but he's better than Will Hernandez in some cases. He's better than Ben Bradison, who is healthy and he's not playing. He's also better than Wes Martin. He's also better than Billy Price. So if you need a backup center and Nick Gates is not ready next year, boom. Can't be much worse than what we have already. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Yeah, also one more thing, guys. If you can't trust Matt Parrott, why did you not draft offensive line? Now, I'm not going to second-guess the Tony pick too much, but you had Slater in your hands at 11. You had some tackles in the second and third round. You're telling me that you believed in the young guys? Meanwhile, Nate Solder is still the right tackle? And I understand that there's a lot of situations where it's, oh, well, you know, the coaches see something we don't. How do they see that Nate Solder is better than Matt Parrott? Because I don't see that. I don't think fans see that. If you're saying that Nate Solder is better than Matt Parrott, I think you need to have your head and your eyes checked. Because that's clearly not the case. <sighs> Let's talk about heart of this team. In my personal opinion, with what Joe Judge did and what he said about the Bucks game and then firing Jason Garrett. In my opinion, it was to save his job, save the locker room. Because he knows Kenny Galladay doesn't like Jason Garrett. Probably a lot of other players don't like Jason Garrett because Kadarius Tony retweeted Chad Ochocinco saying, well, we need to get Kadarius Tony more involved now that Jason Garrett's gone. And uh, I know Des Bryant was talking about Jason Garrett on Twitter, but that's not the point of the argument right now. But what Joe Judge did, in my opinion, was saving his job, saving the locker room. Because, well, that's what he needed to do. Jason Garrett, in my opinion, is a scapegoat. But, at the same time, he was one of the offense's top issues. If not the top issue. I believe that. Because you can argue about the offensive line. You can argue about the wide receiver drops. The injuries. Daniel Jones being inconsistent. Jason Garrett was designing those route concepts for the past couple of months, year and a half. And Joe Judge should have taken the bull by the horns and fired him in January or even after week three. Because it's great right now that he's fired, he's gone. Wish him the best, but it's too late. Now you have to go another year with Daniel Jones, likely, and Joe Judge. And you have to find another offensive coordinator because likely Freddie Kitchens is not staying as the offensive coordinator in 2022. So, in terms of heart, and we've seen at different points of the season... Certain players give up. Kenny Galladay kind of did that. 
on one play on that screen I was talking about earlier. That's not a good message to the fan base, the rest of the locker room, your coaches as well, the coaches that actually care about you. Fuck Jason Garrett, Joe Judge. And I don't necessarily like Joe Judge at the moment because a lot of the stuff that's happening is on him. But I can't say that Joe Judge is a clown that he does nothing for the locker room. Because I have a feeling he does some good things to the locker room in terms of getting in the players' heads, not being too rough on them, but motivating them as well. Because how many coaches would have lost the locker room by now? A lot. So I'm not going to clown Joe Judge totally, but the situation is a situation. And Kenny Galladay, once again, it's one play. I'm not going to beat the drum the rest of the year for it unless it happens a couple more times. But just remember, $72 million over the next four years, $18 million a year, approximately. And the message you're sending to the fan base, which is paying your salary, and then the coaches and the ownership that are employing you. So think about that. And we'll see what happens in terms of locker room the rest of the year. I'm not going to make any takes right now in terms of locker room takes and whatever, all this nonsense. But I don't know what else to say. Other than that, hopefully these guys keep playing for this coaching staff. Hopefully they do. And if they don't, well... We all know that there's going to be a fresh start if that was the case. So we'll see. But then again, Mara is Mara. He's a moronic person. So let's talk about the defense a little bit. Not too much. Then we'll talk about final thoughts and we'll get out of here. So let's talk about the defense. Um, You can argue pass rush. You can argue all these other situations and scenarios and reasons. But Patrick Graham didn't do a good job. We all know that Tom Brady is a guy who is a smart quarterback. He's the best there has ever been. And he takes what the defense gives them. But sticking to soft zone coverage a lot of the time, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. When you're not aggressive... You don't win games, especially in this era. Soft zone may have worked in the early 2000s, the late 90s. But you have to scheme around the fact that you don't have a pass rush. And I understand the the O-line for the Bucks is very good. They had one holding penalty, only allowed one sack and three quarterback hits. That sack was on Blaine Gabbard. It wasn't on Brady. And Brady gets the ball out really fast. So you have to game plan around that, and Patrick Graham didn't do a good job. Edward Jackson, happy he got his first pick because of all the dropped interceptions and stuff like that. So I'm happy for him. But where's Leonard Williams? Where's Dexter Lawrence? Can't can't really rely on Aziz Ojolari all the time because he's a rookie. He's very streaky, which is something he's going to have to get rid of sometime soon to live up to the second-round hype. Tay Crowder, definitely not a linebacker one. I mean, 
Bernardrick McKinney, he is a good reserve. Not going to deny that. But this team needs starting inside linebacker, as they do a starting number one pass rusher. And let me tell you something, folks. Logan Ryan was a big, big loss. Because he would have smacked the defense into shape and they would have probably allowed seven less points, in my personal opinion, because there would not be guys wide open in the middle of the field. There would not be guys wide open in the check down. Maybe in the check down, but not open in the middle of the field like Rob Gronkowski was. There would not be missed tackles like the Godwin touchdown screen. So, you have to build around it if you're Patrick Graham, if you're this defensive coaching staff. You have to build around it. Because Logan Ryan is not going to be playing every single snap, every single down for you. He's not. So you have to build around it. And once again, leadership is one issue on this team other than Joe Justice. Like, I don't know who's standing up in the locker room. I personally don't. I'm not there. I wish it was a fly on the wall. I'm not there. Nick Gates, Blake Martinez, those guys are on IR. Same thing with Jabril Peppers. So I don't know who's there. I don't know who's there. Um, Final thoughts. Daniel Jones, Will Hernandez, Saquon Barkley, other high draft picks will not get second contracts. They don't deserve second contracts. I mean, we're waiting on what Andrew Thomas is, what Kadarius Toney is, Dexter Lawrence. I don't even know what to say about him. Disappeared in some games. Some games he's... Alive and well. He had one quarterback hit on Tom Brady, so I'll give him that, but pretty sure it was on a screen. So you can't even give him that much credit. So. Um, Andrew Thomas and Kadarius Tony, as I mentioned, one of the few cornerstone franchise pieces. Aziz Ojalari could be a franchise cornerstone piece. And you go from there in terms of building a team. In terms of rebuilding, building around those guys, keeping those guys on the team. To put it lightly, obviously I have nothing to say on Jason Garrett because he's fired, but something better happen in terms of this offense at least stepping up just a little bit. I'm not expecting a full revamp, but I'm expecting more aggressiveness because you have Daniel Jones, you have all these weapons, scheme around the bad offensive line. That's what good teams do. Patrick Graham's soft and red zone clamping won't work in the long run. No pressure anywhere. That's on Dave Gettleman. He has not assessed the edge in three of his four years. None of these high-priced free agent signings have been even existent because Marcus Golden was the best free agent signing that the Giants made. And that worked for one year. But he couldn't cover, so he traded him for a six-round pick. And then drafted Aziz Ojolari. And that's working as of right now. But the neglecting of the edge in online positions, well, that's on him. Because other than Andrew Thomas and Will Hernandez, who is a bust, has not spent top draft capital on O-line in the four years he's been here. And he's been promising, 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 promising that the trenches would be fixed. Nowhere near fixed. We're so close, but we're so far. And then, just as a funny quote by me, fire everyone. I mean, if you really want to 
go in the right direction, fire everyone. No matter how many wins you get at the end of the season, I'm not for tanking, but no matter how many wins you get at the end of the season, the progress, this and the other thing, fire everyone. Because that's essentially what you have to do. And I understand. Ownership is a big issue. Hopefully Steve Tisch grows a set of balls and tells John Mara, fuck off, let me have some say. Or the NFL steps in like they did in, what was it, 1979 with George Young? So you're either relying on that or you're relying on Merritt to actually make a capable hire, which is possible. It's very possible. Unlikely, but possible. And from them, from then, I should say, he needs to shut up. Get out of football operations. Leave it to the people that know what they're doing. Get a new GM, a modern GM, who doesn't have to spend up the wazoo to make a good team. Who knows how to draft, who knows how to do free agent signings in a smart way, and then get a head coach who connects to the players, who is also modern. It's not just old school. So that's what I have to say on that. If you guys have any like, comment, subscribe, turn on post notifications, see anyone live stream pops for your drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Uh, once again, I apologize for the poor camera camera quality. It's not really usually uh, my forte, but because it is 2.50 in the morning as I'm recording this I can't go down in my usual studio and I should have grabbed two lights and I also look like I am albino or some type of ghost happy belated Halloween and that's the situation I'm in and also if I'm talking low I apologize because I got people sleeping around me and the apartment's small but enough of the excuses we're not the New York Giants peace out guys see you later stay cool